of all the characters surrounding the story of Christmas, the one that we're most prone to forget is Joseph. Certainly, he gets overshadowed by Jesus, the creator of the world entering into creation as a human baby. Pretty easy to take a backseat to Jesus in the Christmas story. Then there's Mary. We heard John talk about her role in the Christmas story last week, a virgin giving birth to the Son of God. That alone is enough to overshadow Joseph, but then take into account the history of the church, especially in Catholic tradition, where there is a very high view of Mary as a central figure of the Christian faith. It's easy to see why Joseph might take a back seat to Jesus and Mary. Then there are multitudes of angels, the shepherds, the magi. Here's a challenge for you. Think about the songs that we sing during the Christmas season. Who shows up in these songs? All of these people, Jesus, Mary, angels, shepherds, the magi, they show up regularly in the Christmas songs that we sing in the season. But where's Joseph? In fact, you're far more likely to encounter songs that refer to cattle that may or may not have even been present at the birth of Jesus than songs that include Joseph. For whatever reason, Joseph is an overlooked character in the cast of Christmas. But this morning, we're going to spend some time getting to know the man that God chose to be the earthly father of Jesus. Joseph only appears in two chapters of the Bible, both of which are connected with Jesus' infancy. We don't ever actually even hear him speak. There's not one word of Joseph that is recorded in the Bible. In fact, we don't really even know what happens to Joseph after he's referred to in Jesus' visit to the temple at the age of 12. In every passage of Scripture that follows, any reference to Jesus' family makes mention of only Mary and Jesus' siblings being present. We can only speculate but many believe it's likely that Joseph died while Jesus was still young. One writer suggests, could it be that losing his father was one of Jesus' early experiences with human suffering? But while he might not be on the pages of the Bible for a large amount of time, in what little we have, we see a person of great character who God entrusts to be the earthly father figure to Jesus. Well, we've already heard our text for today, but we're going to be working our way through Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 24 this morning. And so if you have your Bible with you and want to follow along, I invite you to turn there now. If you're going to use one of the Bibles we have here in the worship center, it's on page 1468, or you can follow along on the screens behind me. I'll be starting in verses 18 and 19 of Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Our introduction to Joseph, while brief, actually gives us quite a bit of insight to his character. Today, we get to read the Christmas story with the benefit of over 2,000 years of hindsight. 
A lot of us have put up our nativity scenes and decorations and the nostalgia and wonder of the Christmas season. It's easy for us to lose sight of the fact that these are real people whose plans were significantly interrupted. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a few moments and imagine what this whole situation must have been like for him. Joseph and Mary are engaged at this point in the story. More accurately, they are betrothed, which was the cultural custom at that time. Mary and Joseph are contractually obligated to marry. But this year, long engagement, they still lived in separate homes. They probably didn't see each other all that much, and they were not physically intimate. The only way in which this type of relationship could come to an end would be through a legal divorce. After they got engaged, Joseph would have gone back to his father's house. He would have started to build an addition to that house where he and Mary would live and one day raise a family. And so everything was going according to plan until the day that Joseph found out Mary was pregnant. He knew the child wasn't his because he had not been with Mary, a point that both Luke and Matthew are careful to emphasize in their accounts. So we're not entirely sure how Joseph finds out about Mary's pregnancy. In Luke's narrative of the Christmas story, um, we're told that following Mary's encounter with the angel, she goes off to visit her cousin Elizabeth. It's very likely that Joseph doesn't find out about Mary's pregnancy until after she returns, probably well into her second trimester, probably three, four, five months into her pregnancy. And all we're told in the text is that she was found to be pregnant. So very likely, Joseph saw Mary coming back from her visit with her cousin and could tell just by looking at her that she was pregnant. Or possibly he heard it from other people in the town who had interacted with her upon her return back to the community. I'd imagine that the conversation that Joseph and Mary had following her return from her visit to Elizabeth was probably pretty animated. Joseph knows with certainty that this baby was not his. We can only assume that Mary in this conversation tells Joseph about her visit from the angel, that she hasn't been unfaithful to him. But as John reminded us last week, it's not like this sort of thing was common. Joseph knows how biology works, and so he's not likely to believe the story if Mary was to present it to, her, to him. And so here we see Joseph's life and plans interrupted by this unexpected pregnancy. But Joseph responds in a way that sets a great example for us. We're told in this text that Joseph was faithful to the law. Other translations call him a just man or a righteous man. This meant that he devoutly tried to follow the Old Testament law. Many scholars refer to Joseph as Joseph the just. But the type of justice that Joseph models in this text is not retributive. Rather, it's justice that is filled with compassion and mercy. Joseph knows how the law addresses this type of situation. For the purposes of the law, an engaged couple was considered to be legally bound. So again, if the engagement was to be broken off, a divorce was required. That meant that under the Old Testament law, the fact that Mary had become pregnant during the engagement period the law concerning adultery was applicable. So technically, Mary could have been stoned to death, according to Deuteronomy 22. 
In practice, though, what typically occurred in situations like this is that the pregnant woman would be divorced in a very public proceeding for the purpose of bringing shame and disgrace upon her. But we see that Joseph was a compassionate man. Our text tells us that he was not wanting for Mary to be shamed in that manner. And so even though in his mind she had done him wrong, he didn't want her to have to face the ridicule of a shameful public divorce. Her pregnancy would be shameful enough. So it seems like Joseph took some time to think about his plan before he actually followed through with the divorce. You'll notice uh, ahead in verse 20 that it says, Joseph considered these things. While this translation is accurate, our word consider doesn't quite speak to the complexity of the verb that is used here in the Greek. When we read this, it's easy for us to picture Joseph maybe sitting in his recliner, pondering his next steps, thinking deeply, maybe making a pros and cons list. But the word that's used here, it's only used several other times in the New Testament, and in each of those cases, it's used to express anger. Joseph was angry. And it's not hard to understand why he would be. But he does not act impulsively on his anger. We don't know how long Joseph mulled these things over in his mind. But before he could follow through on his plan to divorce Mary quietly, an angel appears to him in a dream. Let's continue picking up in verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. So an angel, probably Gabriel, the same angel who came to Mary, appears to Joseph. And this angel confirms to him everything that Mary likely had told him to this point was true. That the baby in her womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary had not been unfaithful to Joseph after all. And he was to name this baby Jesus. Matthew, who is writing this to a Jewish audience, includes an Old Testament reference to show that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 7. Matthew says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This connects the reader of the text to the promise from the Old Testament prophets. Matthew is making an appeal to his readers that this baby is the fulfillment of that promise. The angel also makes an appeal from the Old Testament. And he makes this appeal to Joseph when he calls Joseph the son of David. Only one other person in the New Testament is called by this name, and it is Jesus. Chapter 1 of Matthew begins tracing the genealogy of Jesus, starting from Abraham in Genesis to David to Joseph. And this is important for the writer to include because the promised Messiah was to come from King David's lineage. 
So this visit from the angel changes everything for Joseph. Not only had Mary remained faithful to him, but the angel referring to Joseph as the son of David is enough for him to realize that this child will be significant. So how might we be able to follow the example of Joseph? Joseph gives us an example of how to respond when our plans are derailed. And he shows us how to respond in challenging circumstances, balancing justice with compassion and mercy. The first thing we can learn from him is to hold our plans loose. There's nothing wrong with making plans. Some people maybe have more detailed long-term plans than others, but we need to hold those plans loosely and consider them to be temporary, recognizing that God may have something else in mind. And we see the same thing here with Joseph. His plans actually changed several times over the course of this narrative. He began to, with plans to prepare for a life together with Mary. Then when Mary gets pregnant, all of those plans go out the window. So Joseph made a new plan, one which would end with his, his relationship with Mary. But when the angel appeared, Joseph changed his plans one more time. Joseph and Mary's life together would have looked entirely different had things gone as they had initially planned. Or if they gone, had gone as Joseph initially planned after finding out the news of Mary's pregnancy. But Joseph held those plans loosely and was able to adapt to the circumstances that came his way. The second thing that we can learn from Joseph is to pause, to not react too quickly. When Joseph first found out that Mary was pregnant, he experienced all kinds of emotion, hurt, rejection, anger, disappointment, confusion. But he didn't just fly off the handle and react impulsively based on his emotions. Had he done that, he would have immediately filed divorce papers. He would have drugged Mary's name through the mud in order to get back at her. But instead, he took time to consider the situation before he came up with a better plan, one that would meet the righteous requirements of the law, but one that would also protect Mary as much as possible. But even then, before he actually followed through and put that plan into action, he literally slept on it. And while he was asleep, he got further information that caused him to abandon his plan and follow God's. Which leads us to the next thing that he did, which was follow God's direction. Joseph was a lot like Mary in this regard. Once he heard from God and got God's perspective on the situation, he took Mary as his wife. And when the baby was born, they named him Jesus, just as the angel had commanded both of them. Joseph, Joseph did that even knowing that following God was not going to make life easy for him. By saying yes to God, Joseph was saying no to much of what he had worked for. By taking Mary as his wife, everyone in that small town of Nazareth was going to assume that meant that he had gotten her pregnant during, her, during their engagement period, which was therefore guilty of adultery. He would have to live with the whispers and the stares and the rumors. By saying yes to God, Joseph would become an outsider among his own people. 
He would bear the shame for sins that he did not commit, which is a beautiful foreshadowing of the shame that this baby would one day bear for all that placed their trust in him. And it would get worse before it got better. Joseph would have to travel to Bethlehem for the census being taken. Normally, this is something that only the man of the family would travel for, but Joseph brings Mary with him, probably because he was concerned for her welfare and the welfare of the baby if he were to travel alone. So not only would he and Mary have to endure this travel alone to Bethlehem for the birth of Jesus, but they would have to flee to Egypt and live there as refugees as King Herod would make a decree that all newborn baby boys were to be killed at that point in time. But time after time, Joseph demonstrated a willingness to submit himself to God's plan, regardless of what that involved. What might your life look like if you followed the example of Joseph's hunger for justice, compassion, and obedience to God's plan for your life? How do you respond when your plans are interrupted? A German pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote about this in his book, Life Together. He said, We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass them by preoccupied with our more important tasks as the priest passed by the man who had fallen among thieves, perhaps reading the Bible. When we do that, we pass by the visible sign of the cross raised athwart our path to show us that not our way, but God's way must be done. It is a strange fact that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think they are doing God a service in this, but actually they are disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. They do not want a life that is crossed and balked. But it is part of the discipline of humility that we must not spare our hand where it can perform a service and that which we do not assume that our schedule is our own to manage, but allow it to be arranged by God. Only where hands are not too good for deeds of love and mercy in everyday helpfulness can the mouth joyfully and convincingly proclaim the message of God's love and mercy. This quote not only accurately reflects the mindset of holding our plans loosely or being willing to have our plans and schedules uh, adapt but the emphasis on the shift of control is so that we might have more opportunities to show love and mercy when life's interruptions come our way. This is what we can learn and take away from Joseph's example in this brief, impactful window we have into his life. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the example of Joseph. God, we thank you that he shows us this great example of what true justice looks like. That it can be right to be angry, but there is such good 
in a justice that responds with love and compassion. Lord, we pray that our hands would not be too good for deeds of love and mercy. That in everyday helpfulness, they can mouth joyfully and convincingly proclaim the message of your love and mercy. May we do that through our words and through our deeds. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.